God speaks to us in his word in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. All right, that was pretty good. Mark, I'm so glad that was you. And not me, because uh, I know, and, and I do know the day is coming, I'm going to do that. Uh, I worked with Ivy Pinwell too long, uh, and to not mess that up a few times as Ivy Greenwood. So, uh, I'm glad it was you. Uh, so, this morning, uh, it is... Uh, a little bit of a rainy day, and uh, that always makes it uh, a little interesting. And so uh, I wanted to uh, just pause for a moment and pray. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. A lot of times rain keeps people away. Uh, so praise God for you being here this morning and that, and that we can worship together is a really good thing. And it's a treasured thing. And so we, uh, this morning, uh, as we come together, uh, let's pause and pray, and then we'll jump into our lesson. Now, Father, we do thank you. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for your spirit. Uh, and Lord, we ask that this morning, uh, that your spirit... Uh, would just revive our hearts and renew our hearts, no matter where we're at. Uh, and Lord, we pray for those uh, that might not know you yet, that you would make uh, their heart come alive. And for those of us that do know you, uh, that you would renew our hearts and, and that uh, you would uh, just uh, let us see you afresh. Uh, let us see your word afresh this morning, that it could be, uh, could build us up. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And if you have not had the opportunity, uh, if we have not had the opportunity, I about did it again. Uh, we, uh, if we have not had the opportunity uh, to meet yet, my name is Pat Robinson, and I do serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline. And that's always, that is such a true blessing in so many ways, and that we have multiple uh, congregations with multiple elders at each congregation, and it is always good for us as we share information, as we're preaching and stuff. And so this morning, many of you know Kevin Colley. I'm borrowing quite a bit of stuff that he did last week because it was done so well. And as we continue in our study of 1 Corinthians this morning, obviously we'll be in chapter 15 and while up to this point, Paul's writings to the, uh, the Corinthians has been a series of responses to either questions uh, or issues that have, a, have, arise, have arise and have a, that have come up in Corinth. I'll get that out in a minute. Uh, whether it's what Paul has heard, that's chapters 1 through 6, or questions that have been asked him, that's chapter 7 through 14. And so, as we step into 15, it changes just a little bit. He does, in the start of those chapters, he starts them uh, uh, clearly stating what he's addressing. Uh, now concerning uh, food offered to idol. Uh, I hear there are divisions among you. Now about the gifts of the spirits. Uh, and things like that. He's clearly stating it up front. But as we step into uh, chapter 15 this morning, uh, his opening's a little bit different. In, the, in these first few verses, Paul is setting up some of the most powerful, important scripture in all of God's word. And so this morning, Paul wants to remind, he's writing to remind the Corinthians, and he wants to remind us uh, as we go through uh, chapter 15 in the next few weeks, uh, what's of first importance, what we first believe, and exhort us to live like we claim to believe. And, and so, uh, as we step in that this morning, uh, or begin to uh, step into chapter 15, uh, that's where we're going. Uh, the resurrection of Jesus and I don't know about you, uh, but how many of you every day set reminders in your calendar, in your phone, in your computer, whatever? How many of you set reminders in, for, you, for yourself during the day? Yeah, all of us. We kind of live. Uh, if uh, you see me look at my watch, I'm not worried about going long. I've probably got a reminder on my watch, you know, we can't escape it. We're always setting reminders. We set it for everything. Hey, while I'm in town, don't forget to pick up bread or, or don't, don't forget to pick up the kids from practice or practicing light. You know, important, important things. Uh, and don't forget meetings. Don't forget to call this person, that person. And for some of us, you even need a reminder in your calendar this week, don't forget your anniversary. So uh, that one's there. Uh, and so uh, I'm leaving town that day, so surely I won't forget it. Uh, and so 
Uh, and matter of fact, so much so do we set reminders. I start every Monday morning with a meeting with my resident to go over the calendar for the week uh, to set reminders. And if it's a busy week, especially toward the back end of the week, I make this, them set reminders to remind me that I got a reminder coming uh, because I will forget. And, and that's just kind of our lives sometimes. We're setting reminders. But reminders can also be to challenge us. Challenge us, challenge anyone to exhort someone to hold fast or to embody something that they know, but their behavior is that they act as if they've forgotten. You know, it's like you've probably asked uh, your children or, or someone, I think you know all this already, but let me risk reminding you, we're supposed to pick up the toys when we're done, or whatever. Uh, in case you've forgotten, let me remind you. Uh, do you need me to remind you of the importance of reports are due every Monday morning? That's a common one. Uh, so uh, that's, you know, we, sit, we always, and that's kind of how Paul is using remind here. He's reminding the Corinthians, he's pointing out something uh, that they've overlooked or maybe they've forgotten or they just live like they, they don't, they, that they've forgotten it. And so as, as, Paul, as Paul is using this to remind them, it also reminds us. And the good news of this chapter is it's one of the most beautiful, potent, Sustained treatments of the resurrection ever written. So as we spend the next several weeks unpacking this and unpacking its power and significance, uh, hopefully God will open our hearts and open our minds to truly step in uh, to the beauty of Jesus' death. And while that's a beautiful thing, the occasion in which Paul is uh, stepping into this is not a beautiful thing. If we would have read one more verse in, in chapter, in verse 12 uh, of chapter 15, uh, we can see that where Paul is headed, he's, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, so some of them are living like there's no resurrection and some of them are actually denying the resurrection. And so, uh, as we are reminded this morning about its importance uh, and the facts and the, the central importance of the resurrection, uh, as Paul reminds the Corinthians, he'll also, uh, I pray that he also reminds us this morning. And so, no matter where you're at uh, in your walk, there's something for you this morning if you're not a follower of Jesus uh, yet, uh, um, this, is, this is the foundation of the gospel, uh, the beauty of the gospel, uh, that, that Jesus laid down his life for us. And, and it's an invitation uh, to you to press into that. And, and, and hopefully, uh, uh, you have questions, and, and we would love to answer those questions. And so if you do, if that's you and you do, 
uh, at the close of service, feel please come talk to me, talk to anyone you've seen up here on stage this morning. Uh, any of those people would love to talk to you. And maybe by God's grace, uh, you're following Jesus and, and you're experiencing a season uh, of complete transformation and joy. Uh, praise be to God uh, that you're in that season and, and, and press into that. Uh, continue to press in uh, to God's word and knowing him more intimately. Continue to press in uh, to a prayer life with God uh, and, and grow closer to him. But, and there's always a but, you know, always, but if you're tempted to play games with God's word, and what I mean is claim to walk in the ways of Jesus, but not deny the truth of the resurrection, either actually or functionally, I want us to step into that and press into that too. Because the reality is there's probably not many of us in here that would actually deny the resurrection. Um, but probably most of us at some point in the past week have lived like we functionally denied the resurrection. And that's just being real. Uh, none of us are a perfect, none of us have been completely sanctified yet, so that's the reality. Uh, so there's places for all of us to step into this and hopefully uh, receive renewal this morning. And the good news of the gospel truth is it's truth that transforms, but it only transforms when it's trusted. Uh, let me read uh, verses 3 through 8 again. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, and Cephas is just Aramaic for Peter. Uh, so he appeared to Peter, and then the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Uh, and, and like I said, this is one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture, just pure and simple and plain, uh, the gospel. And, and the gospel simply means news. And, and for us that follow Jesus, it's the good news. And, and so... Uh, the gospel is, there's some things that the gospel is and there's some things that the gospel is not. And what the gospel is, is something that's announced, something that has occurred. It's an action that has taken place. And for the word lovers and our grammar geeks, which is not me, it, will, it always takes the indicative form and it's used to make a declarative statement. What the gospel is not is advice, commands, suggestions, or demands. The gospel that is something that has been done, not something you must do. And so as we look at this, 
Paul reminds us and reminds was reminding the Corinthians that it's of first importance in verse three. Of first importance, this is the foundation of our Christian belief. Uh, so much so that it is the gravitational center of our universe uh, as Christians. So the death, burial, and resurrection. And, and, and in doing so, God is providing the ans- answer to the fundamental need and the fundamental longing of every human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. God is providing for us. The facts that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, wrapped in uh, burial clothing, laid in a tomb, a tomb sealed, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And the significance of those facts uh, begins right up front. And when Paul calls Jesus the Messiah, he calls him Christos or Christ. And that's not Jesus' last name. You know, we say Jesus Christ so much, it kind of almost feels like that sometimes. Uh, That's who he is. The Messiah, the anointed one, uh, and that is massive significance that Paul says, this is the anointed one. He is the one who came and and has been prophesied about. In, In his book, The Message of 1 Corinthians, David Pryor writes this, There is no true proclamation of the gospel which does not explain in New Testament terms the link between human sin and the death of Jesus Christ. Indeed, there is no gospel at all unless the death of Jesus Christ can be seen to deal with sin for once and for all. Gordon Fee, in his book, The First Epistle to the Corinthians, That he was buried functions to verify the reality of the death. In the present context, it emphasizes the fact that a dead corpse was laid in the grave so that the resurrection that follows will be recognized as as an objective reality, not merely a spiritual phenomenon. And yeah, all of that happened. It was witnessed, and it was also prophesied in the Old Testament uh, in multiple places. A couple were probably really familiar with Isaiah 53 and Psalm 16. And uh, this week, I spent a lot of time in Isaiah 53 just being reminded uh, because I needed to be reminded uh, that Jesus was pierced for my transgression. He was crushed because of me. And I needed to be reminded uh, and be renewed in in knowing that Jesus paid it all. And not only did it, was it prophesied and it did happen, Paul goes to considerable lengths to explain just how many people personally witnessed it. 
and said, Peter, then more than 501, then to James and to all the apostles and then to Paul. And the significance in writing that to the Corinthians, they could talk to these people. Uh, most of these people were still alive. So they could talk to these people that had, that had personally witnessed the, the resurrection. And then in, in verses 9 and 10, we see Paul embrace the truth of the resurrection. And it transformed everything in him. Because gospel truth, when trusted as truth, that transforms. The fact is, we know a lot about uh, Paul, including his life before he met Jesus when his name was Saul. Uh, Saul was the guy. He was going to eventually be the guy of guys, the rabbi of rabbis. He studied under the, the best rabbis in all of Israel. He's, and and he, knew, he knew the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Old Testament, frontwards and backwards. Uh, Paul knew scripture. And, and so what inter, what's interesting is about that, Paul knew about the resurrection. This is not new to him. Paul knew about the prophecy of an anointed one. He knew about uh, the resurrection, except that when he was at Saul, he didn't think it was that glorious. He thought it was blasphemous. And so much so, he made it his life's mission to kill Christians. An attempt to silence the news of the resurrection. And we can see that in Acts 7, when Stephen is stoned, uh, where's Saul? He's holding the coats of those who are stoning. And most likely encouraging them. I, I don't know that. But that always seemed like a weird scripture to me until I read something this week that said, yeah, he was probably holding them so they didn't get blood on them. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. I was just thinking, why is he holding the cup? Stoning someone's not a pleasant job. So Paul is holding their coats. And we see in chapter 8 that, that Paul continues to persecute the church. And in chapter nine, 9, we see that Paul has letters from the high priest. He's on his way to Damascus to imprison and kill more Christians. It's his life's mission. But look how the gospel of Jesus Christ changed Paul. It totally changed his identity. He went from being the rabbi of rabbis to being hunted by the rabbis. God totally changed the mission of his life. Instead of pursuing Christians, 
He was pursuing teaching the resurrection and the good news of Jesus. And God even changes his name. After his encounter, he's no longer not with Jesus. He's no longer called Saul. He's called Paul. And I want to handle this really gently uh, because I, I know there's probably a lot of people that have a lot of pain around their past, uh, whether that's things they've done or things that's happened to them. But once you encounter Jesus, no one gets to name you but Jesus. And he changes your name. And you're a son or daughter of the most high king. And think about this. Think about how different Paul's life was from his time and being on the road to Damascus and how he left Damascus. The road to and from the road to, he has letters. He's on a mission. The road from Damascus where he had, once he was converted, he was teaching the resurrection of Jesus to the Jews. He snuck out of the city because he's now being hunted. He went from the hunter to the hunted. His life totally changed. And Paul uh, talks about it in, in 9 and 10 just a little bit. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I have persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I work harder than any of them, though it is not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Uh, Paul knows it's nothing he's done. It's the grace of God that has changed him. And he acknowledges his past, but he's not stuck there. He's not, he's not wallowing in the past. He's not wallowing in any sin. And he does not let that overshadow his apostolic authority. I am what I am. And I'm an apostle, just like all the others. You see, the gospel of Jesus is not just truth. It's life-altering truth. It's truth that reorients, reorients the entirety of your life. It redefines your identity in truth that reorder your loves. We no longer love our own selfish desires. We love God first. And it's truth that revolutionizes how we seek purity, stability, and peace. How we're okay. We don't, we don't need anything else. We don't need any substance. We don't need any addiction, we don't need anybody, any career, anything. 
It's truth that changes how we are okay. And in writing this, Paul, uh, Tim Keller puts it this way, is what Paul is saying is, my very being has been changed. I've been changed volitionally, socially, emotionally, and cognitively in every way. Everything about always changed. So how does truth change us? Uh, it's personal. Paul has this story. We have our story. Whatever it is. And it's powerful. It is powerful no matter what your road When Jesus made your heart come alive, when the Holy Spirit made your heart come alive, it was powerful. And uh, have any of you ever heard of Chester and Timothy's four G's? I hadn't either, so good. <laughs> uh, till this week. Uh, and it's a real simple. Uh, and the first one is God is great. And the good thing about that is so we don't have to be in control. Uh, God is great. So we don't have to be in control. How much time do we burn trying to be in control? Wow, I see some wives looking at their husband. Uh, yeah, God created spoke the universe in existence in seven days. He doesn't need us to be in control, any of us. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. Um, there's only one opinion that matters. I don't have to care what people think about me. My opinion don't matter. And guess what? Yours doesn't either. Only God's. God is glorious. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. There's no one else that has the words of life. God is good, so we don't have to look to someone or something to fulfill us. And God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. Uh, God saved us right where we're at, where we were at. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. But the only truth that transforms has to be trusted. Jump back to verse two with me real quick. As Paul opens, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's not the kind of thing you write to someone if you believe that they're holding fast to what you've written. Uh, you write that because you believe that they're not, or at least they're living like they're not. And so what does it mean to uh, believe in vain? How do you define faith? And uh, faith is building your life on something. To believe in, in vain is to look for other things to prop you up 
or to hold weight in your life. The hope of the gospel and the hope of Jesus is that we need nothing else. God provides it all. You see, what God requires, he provides. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him sin who knew no sins so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what God provides, he perfects. Uh, Philippians 1.6 And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And whom he perfects, he purposes. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And whom God perfects, perfects, he protects. God, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God provides all we need. And I guess our, my question to us today is, how are we living our lives? Does my life, does our lives, look like I believe the gospel of the resurrected Jesus. In my everyday actions at work, at home with my wife, with my family, does my life reflect that I believe? You see, the gospel is truth that transforms, but in order for it to transform, it must be trusted. Do we still trust what we first believed? And do we live like it? And I want to close with this quote uh, by David Foster Wallace. The truth will set you free, but not until it's finished with you. You know, the reality this morning is that God is still sanctifying many of us and that his truth is not done with us. And uh, wherever our walk is in life, we, uh, God's walking with us and yet he's still dealing with us. And he's providing along the way. And that, there's no better news. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word, the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that, that, that has drawn us to you. And that, uh, Lord, we, we pray as we, uh, we step into these scriptures over the next few weeks that you will uh, truly renew our hearts and renew our minds. Uh, and Father, and that our lives will reflect that. So Lord, thank you once again for the gift of Jesus and the work that you're doing now. Amen. If you would, uh, stand with me. And if you're serving communion, if you would make your way 
uh, to the table. And uh, I can think of no better way uh, to uh, wrap up our time together after this sermon and then then coming to the table to remember uh, what Jesus has done for us and that he's coming to claim us. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, take and eat, this is my body. And likewise, he took the cup, the cup of wine and he blessed it and said, this is my blood the New Testament, take and drink. And the reality is that he took that with friends and also those who betrayed him. And so uh, this morning we get to remember what Jesus has done for us and we get to celebrate that he's coming back to claim it. So as you're ready, uh, come.